Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, glad you could join in. It's always good to have people listening in. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to listen to what I have to say, and I appreciate your your uh, continued support. Um, the numbers keep climbing and climbing as far as people listening from around the world, literally from around the world. It's um, I'm honored. I'm humbled, honestly that so many people would tune in. That's just crazy. In so many countries, it's bizarre. Anyway, uh, I've been looking online a lot lately uh, about uh, near-death experiences. And um, I found one, uh, actually several, but I think it's one channel, but uh, a lot of people who had died and come back and they were talking about their experiences. And, I noticed one of the consistent things that I was hearing, uh, there were several consistencies that people were having um, experiences with, and, 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 it, and it kind of made me stop and take pause. Uh, but one of the things people were talking about was the fact that, you know, when they're in heaven, that God doesn't talk to them with his mouth. He talks to them in their head. It's almost like a, like a telepathy or something. It's uh, telepathic. <clears throat> anyway, um, I noticed that, and I also noticed that people consistently, those who didn't even know each other, but would report the same thing, saying basically that their vision was like some sort of superhuman being vision. Um, and I'm and I'm telling you all this for a reason because I'm going to share a story with you. And, uh, and I'm going to point out these things, but I'm just sort of predicating everything by this. Um, they talked about a light, a very bright light that was filled with love. And anyway, it was pretty consistent, the things that they were saying. Um, everybody seems to be able to see their body at first. <clears throat> Forgive me. They tend to see their bodies, looking down at their bodies as if they're looking at their bodies from their spirit looking down. So that was pretty consistent too. So there were a lot of things on there that I thought, you know, really, really made a lot of sense to me because though I did not have a near-death experience, I did have an experience that those key elements were involved. And so that's where we start today is on, on this story. Uh, back in 19, <clears throat> let's see, I was born in 66, 76, 86. About 1986, I think I was, <clears throat> I was 19 or 20 years old. I, I want to say I was 19 because I was approaching 20. Since my birthday's in December, December 22nd, in fact. <clears throat> I think that, that uh, I was just approaching 20 years of age. I was uh, attending college, a uh, little junior college in North Florida called Lake City Community College. And uh, I was uh, taking, you know, all the basics, English and uh, speech and psychology and stuff like that. Well, my English class was at 8 o'clock in the morning, which was really early for me because back then, unlike today, back then, I, uh, I didn't like getting up early. Uh, I was usually staying up late, partying, having a good time, chasing girls, <clears throat> doing all the things that you do when you're in college and you're young. And uh, so I didn't like getting up early, and I certainly didn't like going to class that early. 
And so as a result of that, um, going to class early in the morning, I just, I was always tired. And I remember this particular day, I had gone to my English class and, um, okay, a little side note here real quick. It's crazy, but it's, it's funny how the way things just sort of come circle back around in your life. My English teacher, my English professor was Yvonne Sapia. And um, she was a, she is a tough old gal. She was, um, she was a, uh, now this back in the 80s, you got to understand this was a big deal back then. She was an open lesbian, okay? Uh, everybody on campus knew she was a lesbian. And of course she had a, she had her, um, her significant other who was also on campus. <laughs> and uh, anyway, she didn't like me much and I didn't like her much and we just didn't get along. It had nothing to do with her being a lesbian. I'll just tell you, I, didn't, I don't care what you do or who you're with or whatever. That, that, I, don't, I don't care. That's, that's your business, not mine. I didn't like her because she was just a, a, a real bitty. And um, so she locked me out of her class one time because I got there late. Now, granted, I shouldn't have been late. And she taught me a very valuable lesson, you know. Um, and she wouldn't let me in. And I was like, I don't know, five minutes late. And she said, class has already begun, Mr. Hartley. You need to leave. We'll see you, you know, Wednesday or whenever it was. I was so mad. I didn't like this woman. Well, crazy thing is, that was back in, you know, I, I, well, I was 19, 20 years old, whatever. And fast forward now to, oh gosh, four years ago. <laughs> crazy enough. Uh, so I was 20 then, maybe 1920. Fast forward to 51 years of age, okay? 20, 30, 40, 50, 30-something years later. This is how crazy things are. 30-something years later, this woman is my patient. I'm a nurse now, and she is my patient. And she had Alzheimer's, terrible, terrible Alzheimer's. And um, though I didn't like her, though she was very tough on me, and as a, as a you know, teenager, I thought she was just the most hateful thing on the planet, I was able to give her good care and take good care of her. And I told her, I said, you know, I was your student a long time ago, and I don't think she she remembered me at all because the Alzheimer's had set in pretty hard with her, but she had a rough go at her life at the end. And it's funny because back when I was a teenager, I would have loved to have taken care of her then because, you know, I probably would have exacted some sort of revenge that I thought I deserved and or she deserved. And, you know, I could dole it out like I was, you know, judge and executioner. But the truth is, you know, as you get older, and you realize, you know, this is just a pitiful soul who's dying. And it was very sad. And, and, and even though in my youth I was full of myself and filled with vanity and, and, and all sorts of things, <clears throat> typical young person, I'm sure, um, I was able to bring that full circle, you know. And, and I didn't return evil for her you know, tough stand on me, you know. She wasn't a bad person back then. It was just I was a kid and I didn't like being told what to do. But it was just kind of funny that all of a sudden here at the end of her life, literally I was there at the end of her life, um, I got to take good care of her. And I made sure she was taken good care of by the by the uh, CNAs, the certified nursing assistants who were there. And I uh, checked on her every day. And 
gave her medication and everything, and I was real sweet to her. And um, I'm not trying to ring my own bell or toot my own horn. I'm just saying life has a way of changing us, you know, and, and sort of smoothing the, the rough edges that we have. And, and those were my rough edges. And, and through time, you know, and experiences, you know, God was able to smooth my rough edges out and show me that, you know, treating people with decency and love and compassion is, is what's is what matters. And so anyway, back to the story. So I left Miss Sapia's class. And by the way, she, she died. She's, she's dead. So I can talk about her now. She's dead. It's not a violation of health rights or anything like that. She's, um, I, I go to her class and I'm done and I'm, and I'm tired. And my next class doesn't even start until I think 12 maybe or after 12. It seemed like it was a little later. And I knew that I had time to just go back to my apartment and, you know, maybe take a quick nap, maybe just rest a little bit before I had to go to school again. I was so tired. And um, so anyway, I go back to this old house. My, my roommate and I, Joe, we were renting. Um, it belonged to his sister, I think. It was an old house. It had been converted into apartments. It had huge, huge, tall, uh, probably 12-foot ceilings. Um, huge uh there was a there was a, uh, a fireplace in every room but the kitchen and the bathrooms and uh, it was an older house but it was it was nicely redone and painted you know and um, we had all these big huge windows in every room from floor to ceiling they were very very big and um, we uh we had taken, we had uh, two bedrooms. One was really, really big, and the other one was, was sort of small, more like an office, I guess, but it had those big windows in it and a big old fireplace, and it was kind of cozy looking, I guess. And, um, you know, being the young kids we were and, and uh, you know, wanting to be cool and everything, we took one of the rooms, that small one, that, that office kind of one, and um, we... Uh, we turned it into a uh, sitting room. We called it our sitting room. We called it the library, actually. We were really trying to sound very, uh, you know, sophisticated. And um, so we called it the library, you know. And we had found one of the guys, I think, that, that was our friends. I want to say it was Mark. Had given us an old mustard yellow colored uh, uh, high back, wing back chair. And um, it was straight out of the early 80s or something I mean it was it was just a very ugly color it was not you know it's not a very attractive piece of furniture but hey you're in college right you you take whatever you get and so um, we put that in there right next to the fireplace and I think we painted the room like a forest green we we, we wanted it to be real uh, you know I guess English looking maybe I don't know anyway we had a we had a really good time making the room up, and of course back then. Now, if you're if you're old if you're not that old, you'll remember. You won't remember this, but um, we uh, we had radio systems back then, or stereos actually stereo systems, and um, they had the big tall speakers on them, and you know they had uh, um, uh, you know the, the the record player and the tape player all connected. Everything was was it was a big deal, but it was a it was really large and uh, that was all part of you know growing up in the 
in the 80s, late 70s and early 80s and mid 80s even still. And so we had a we had a stereo hi-fi system, and uh, of course we had it in there too because you know this is where we brought the girls. You know we wanted to woo we wanted to woo the girls because we were kid we were guys we were we were men we are young men and um, most of us I think all of us like girls. Um, <clears throat> and so that's where we brought the girls into our sitting room, you know, and, and we try to impress them with our sitting room. And anyway, um, so there was this yellow chair in there and the stereo system, and we might have had a lamp in there or something. We didn't have a whole lot of furniture. We were college kids, you know. And um, I think we had put a mirror up over the uh, fireplace, so it kind of looked cool in there. You know, looking back now, thinking about it in retrospect, it looked kind of cool. Well, anyway, we... Um, I get back to the to the apartment, to the house really. We call it an apartment, but it's just a house. But we got back to the house. I walk inside and it's quiet. There's no one there, and and um, I sit in that old mustard yellow chair and I sort of relax. And you know, I'm just sitting there and I'm I'm thinking, man, this is so comfortable. And um, of course, the windows we didn't have curtains on them or anything like that. So they were just huge windows, literally from floor to ceiling. <laughs> and remember, I said we had 12-foot ceilings. Those windows were probably 12 feet or close to it. And um, so it was bright. You know, we had two windows on one side, one window on the other. And uh, it was very bright, very bright. And um, so I sat there in the chair, and I'm sitting there, and I'm relaxing. I'm thinking about class. I'm thinking about school. I'm thinking about everything. Uh, and then I realize something is dreadfully wrong. You know, and I and I knew it wasn't normal, and I knew I was in trouble, but I wasn't sure what was going on. But I couldn't move. I was paralyzed, literally paralyzed. The only part of my body that I could move, besides breathing, obviously, was my eyeballs. That was it. My eyeballs. That's it. It's the only thing I could move. And I could look around the room, and I remember panicking, just literally panicking inside. My heart was racing. My my breathing had increased. Um, you know, I was panicking because I thought I've either had a stroke or I've had a heart attack or I've died. And this is just the moments before I go home. And um, I will tell you that I was not prepared spiritually to go to the other side. Though I had been a Christian since I was nine years old, I was not living much like a Christian. I was not living much like uh, a Christian should. I was not doing the things that I should. I was doing the things I should, chasing girls, doing things with girls I, I knew was wrong, uh, drinking, and you know, just being a teenager. You know, thinking that life would never change and that I'd never get any older. And <clears throat> anyway, um, so I was really not prepared emotionally or spiritually for death. And so, of course, that made it you know, worse. I began to really, really panic. And I noticed to my left, now, let me go ahead and say this. Let me predicate everything by saying this. I did not do drugs back then. Never did drugs in my entire life. Okay, the worst thing I ever did as far as drugs are concerned, when I was 47, I think, 45, 47, something like that, I, I smoked marijuana. For the first time in my life, I took a drag off of marijuana, one one drag. It was nasty. It, it stunk. It made my uh, mouth taste bad. I didn't like it. Okay, But back in college, I never did anything. I didn't even really drink that much in college. Believe it or not, I didn't. I, I partied a few times. Uh, never got so drunk I passed out. I would drink, but I wouldn't get drunk. I didn't like being out of control. 
It was uh, part of my personality. At any rate, I didn't do drugs, so I didn't have a drug problem. I didn't, you know, there was there was nothing in my system. You know, I, it wasn't a flashback from something I'd done years before. I just didn't do any drugs at all. And I tell you all that because I want you to understand. Um, I was not under the influence of anything at all, other than life. Okay, and so I uh, <clears throat> I sat there and I started thinking. You know, I've had a I've had a stroke. I've had a heart attack, or maybe even worse, I'm dead. And uh, I looked to my left, and I know this is going to sound crazy. Oh, excuse me. But it's the truth. If I've ever told the truth, this is the truth. I promise you. I look to my left and there's this huge iguana. Now, he was probably, or she, I'm not sure. I can't tell the difference between them. But it was just as green as it could be. Just a regular iguana. Um, And uh, I remember the tail. From tail to head was probably, oh gosh, at least, at least three feet. Maybe even close to four feet. It was huge. And I could see the claws of this thing digging into the fabric of the chair. Now, I was not asleep, y'all. I was, I was fully awake. This was a vision, an open vision, I call it. And I sat there, and I remember turning my eye. I couldn't see the, the, the face of the iguana, but it was on the chair. It was on the arm of the chair, and it went all the way up around my left shoulder. And I could hear the iguana's voice in my ear. I know that sounds really weird, and of course, I'd probably think I was on drugs too, but um, I really wasn't. And so, I heard this iguana whisper in my ear, and he said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I will give you this. And all of a sudden, the door to my left, which led to the hallway where the uh, bathroom was, and to the other bedroom, opened up. And these these women came out dressed in a Middle Eastern garb in total black, but it was see-through. It was like a, like a tool uh, material. And um, they just, now they were beautiful, no doubt. They were sexy. They were beautiful. Their bodies were perfect. Um, they were gorgeous. And they came and just danced around me and, you know, they just uh, uh, touched me. And I mean, it was it was as real as anything I'd ever seen. And they danced around me. And then, I don't know, probably, I don't know, five, ten seconds. And then they were gone and they went back in the door shut. And he, and he said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you this. And every time there was a scene or something happening, that's what he'd say. That's all he'd say. And the room went totally black. It was almost like, um, like there was no light at all completely black and now now granted I'm I'm still I'm still uh, paralyzed I can't move okay my eyes are the only thing that can move I can't even talk and the room materializes back again a light comes on but it's a very dim light and it's like a light from from torches or from a lantern or something it was like that kind of light it wasn't like a electrical light and um, I noticed we're deep underground we're in a cave what appears to be a cave or in a mountain of some sort because it's just rock everywhere inside. But it was a cave and it was pretty big. And I looked around and the first thing I saw in front of me was a pallet. You know, those things are made of wood and you put things on top of it. And it was a pallet of money. 
and it was probably five feet tall, this pallet. And it was, the whole pallet was full of just cash, stacks and stacks of cash. And all around it was just this, honest to God, Aladdin, the Disney Aladdin had not come out yet. But when I saw Aladdin, the Disney version, um, and it was inside the, the Cave of Secrets, it looked a lot like the Cave of Secrets. There were there were jewels and, and gold and everything. Just I mean, there were even paintings that were that were stacked against the wall. <laughs> and there was a long haul, uh, long portion of the cave that went down uh, a long ways further than I could see. And it was just as far as I could see. It was just filled with with riches and treasures and everything else. And he said, "If you'll bow down and worship me, I will give you all this." And I thought, "Wow." And even in my mind, I'm going to tell you something. Even in my depraved teenage mind, I knew that this was not good. Now, I, I wouldn't tell you that that was Satan, um, and I'm and I'm not in no me in no way am I trying to say that uh, that was Satan and and I was like Jesus being tempted in the desert or the wilderness. I don't believe that for a second. But it could have been Satan. Could have been a demon. It could have been you know I don't know. Um, I think through the years I've I don't really know if I've ever decided who it really was but I knew even in my depraved mind and my depraved state I knew that it was not of God and even though I was living a life of sin I knew what was right and I knew what was wrong and I knew this was terribly terribly wrong but I could not run away I could not say anything I couldn't fight him and so the room went dark again and then when it when it came light again it was like I was standing backstage um, in a in an auditorium of some sort and I was backstage looking at a man in um it dressed in a dark navy blue suit. He was a thin guy, um, and he was behind a lectern, and there were, the, the auditorium was full of people. I could see him talking. I could see him moving his hands and everything, but I couldn't hear what he was saying. And he said again, uh, if you'll bow down and worship me, I will give you this. And um, finally, in my mind, I, I, I mustered up the, the, the mental strength and I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. In my mind, I didn't say it because I couldn't move my mouth. But in my mind, I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And in an instant, the room went back to normal. <clears throat> the, the little iguana was gone. <clears throat> and I was still in the chair. But I couldn't move. I was still paralyzed. And um, you can imagine, I was pretty freaked out at this point. Because at that point in time, I knew what I'd just seen. And I was awake and alert and oriented, and it was just beyond my understanding. And so as I sat there in that chair, I was just, I was, I was shaken. I was visibly shaken. And I looked over in the corner of the room to my right, and I remember the wall just kind of became this huge tunnel. And I could see the tunnel went back and then kind of curved to the left a little bit. But it went back a long ways and then curved to the left. And uh, there was a, there was, it was dark, it was pitch black. And then I noticed a tiny light, tiny light. 
and the light got brighter and brighter and then I saw a figure in front of the light. <clears throat> now what I saw, I do believe to this day, was Jesus. I believe with all my heart it was Jesus. And I'll, and I'll follow up the story when I'm done with an explanation and it'll make perfect sense to you. So I saw him coming. I didn't know who he was, but I knew it was a figure. It was a humanoid figure. And as he came towards me, he had his arms outstretched to his side and he had his palms to me. Now I looked for holes in his palms. I didn't see them. He had on what appeared to be a very thick sort of a terry cloth material like a towel like that kind of a towel uh, material uh, a white single robe now it wasn't the kind that you, you, you tie in the middle like you know a bathrobe um, it was all one piece and the sleeves were were um, were thick the, the the cuffs at the sleeves were very thick and they went up above the wrist but still covered the the elbow and his hands were outstretched and he was just walking towards me and um, as he got closer this is this is where that story I told you about the people that had the near-death experience was very similar my vision was so crisp and clear going back to the uh, uh, the little iguana I remember I could see his toenails like I had them under a magnifying glass and I could see the fabric, the individual fabrics on the chair like like a tree, like a forest of trees, just the fabric. I could see that up close. My vision was so perfect. It was better than I'd ever, it was superhuman vision, just like what the people said they had. They could see things. They could see, one lady talked about her vision was so clear that she could see the tile on the floor and she could see the, 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 uh, the cracks in the tile like as if she had this superhuman vision, you know, that she could just see everything. She could see it was so crisp and clear and there was nothing that she couldn't see. It was just kind of weird. And I thought, well, that makes sense because I had the same thing. So though they had a near death experience, you know, they had certain elements of their, their story that was very much like the story I had. Well, anyway, I remember as this, as this person got closer to me, um, he came within about, he stopped about six feet away from me. Now, I knew at that point it was Jesus. But now I'm going to tell you, he didn't look like the Jesus that we hear about in the Bible. You know, he did not look anything like that Jesus at all. In fact, he closely dis, uh, resembled the, the, the wool, the hair of wool and the eyes of fire. Um, his, his face... I could almost make out his face, but it was so bright. The light was so bright, but it wasn't a light that blinded me. It wasn't a light that hurt my eyeballs. It was simply a light. It was the most beautiful, brightest light I've ever seen. And when it shone on me, it shone directly through my body and into my spirit, if that makes any sense at all. I felt that light pierce my body and my spirit as if it exposed every ugly detail of my life. Now, this is what, where the vision thing came in, okay? His hair was like wool. 
if you if you know what wool looks like, like a wool pad, like if you have a scrubbing pad, those wool scrubbing pads, and you were just kind of fray the ends of it, like pull the ends of it, I could see every single hair at the end of his hair, at the end of the strand of the hair, I could see every hair as if I were looking at it under a microscope, and it was just ever so gently waving, waving, just like like cilia, you know, in the body of a or a bacteria when they you know they use their little cilia around their bodies to 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 um, to uh, navigate and move. Anyway, I could see the very ends of his hair. It was so crystal clear to me. And he said to me. And he didn't speak. See, this is another thing, too. Another thing that's very similar to the story I told you earlier. Uh, the vision, the light, the, the, um, the speaking to me. He didn't speak to me with his voice. He spoke to me in my head. <clears throat> and he said, and the way he said this was not as arrogant as the way the, the iguana said it. Okay? He said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you this. Now, he showed me every single scene but one. The ladies dancing around me was not in the scenes that he showed me. But he showed me the the cave with all the treasures and riches. And he showed me the man speaking behind the lectern. And um, I knew at that moment that all of my sin, all of my nastiness, all the things that I had done in college that I was doing then, living the life that I was living, a selfish, selfish life of vanity <clears throat> and 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 seeking after my own desires and, and filling my flesh with with whatever felt good it all came to head and I and I, I remember I I was it's kind of weird to say this but I felt like he was too good to look upon me it sounds strange but that was the impression that I got inside I he doesn't deserve to see such filth and, and nastiness and all I wanted to do and y'all I'm, I'm extremely claustrophobic I don't like closed in spaces but at that moment in time I wanted to just literally <clears throat> hide under a boulder I wanted to be under a boulder that's the only thing I could think of was just hide from his face because he didn't deserve to see me this way and I began to weep inside I was weeping 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 and I felt the tears coming out of my eyes. Though I couldn't wipe them away, I still was paralyzed. I wept and wept and wept. I sobbed. My whole body sobbed and shook. And I was so distraught and so disappointed in the way I had lived my life, knowing that this was Jesus standing in front of me. And I claimed to be a Christian. I said I was a Christian, you know. And, uh, but I didn't act like one. And I felt really horrible. But his love was so incredible. I've never felt such love from a light in my life, ever. Not ever. Not since then. Not ever. Not from a human being. I love my wife and she, you know, she showed me love and, and uh, you know, I, it, it, was, it was beyond the earthly love. It was a supernatural existential love that goes beyond explaining or the ability to Articulate well enough so you can understand what I'm saying. You just have to experience it. And I remember his love and his and his and his face. And I looked for scars on his hands and, and his and his um, uh, wrist. I didn't see any. Um, and his face was was sort of skewed 
by the the light, the, the brightest light that I've ever seen. It was the whitest, brightest light. I mean, it was just incredible. Um, but I could see the rest of his body clearly. It was just the face and around him. And the room was just so bright, it was just a... I couldn't see anything but the white. <coughs> and that is all he said to me. And he turned and slowly turned away from me. And he started walking back through the tunnel. <coughs> so when he went through the tunnel, the room went back to normal and the tunnel disappeared. And all of a sudden I could move. And my body just fell forward. I was absolutely like a wet rag. I just could not hold my form. I fell on the floor, face on the floor, face down on the carpet, and I wept and I wept and I wept and I wept and I I cried and I sobbed. I cried till I couldn't cry anymore. I didn't go to class the rest of that day. I just was too undone. My spirit was just, I was undone. And, uh, I remember I didn't tell anyone because I knew what would happen. They would lock me up, put me in a mental institution, or at least have me evaluated. So I didn't tell anyone. Years later, my wife and I were married. I think uh, I was 27 when we got married. I think I was like 19 then. I told her the story. And, um, of course, you know, she looked at me like I was probably embellishing quite a bit, you know. So fast forward now to, I must have been in my 40s. Um, I had to be in my early 40s, maybe my late, I had to be early 40s, yeah. Um, My wife drags me to a a conference up in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I say drags because I did not want to go. I didn't mind if she went, but I didn't want to go. It was this all, it was all this, this, um, um, prophet stuff and prophetic stuff and I just I thought it was a bunch of bunk I thought it was a bunch of lies I thought it was these face readers you know it was just people trying to make money off of you (laughs) well my wife begged me and begged me to go and I said fine I'll go so we get up there we check into the hotel and um, down in the lobby is where they're registering people to have um, to be prayed over and it didn't cost anything to be prayed over, but you had to register so they'd know who was coming. And there was a team of prophets who would pray over you. And I made fun of them the whole time I was there. And I'd tell her, this is a bunch of BS and I'm not going to do this. And she's like, no, 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 please do it. Please do it. We get there and, the, and they said, I'm so sorry. We, we're, we're all out of spots. <coughs> We've, we, we started early this morning. We filled up the slots. We just don't have any more room. We're so sorry. And I said, good, fine. I didn't want to go anyway. Well, out of the blue, this lady says, here, take my ticket. And I'm like, oh, my God, really? Seriously? <laughs> and so she said, yeah, take my ticket, please. So I took her ticket, and um, I, um, I waited. I went back to the hotel, and I, I laid down for a little while because I really didn't want to be there. But I was going because my wife had, had just begged me to go, and I was so sick of hearing her begging me. So I went, and, you know, she comes back to the hotel, room and she says hey it's almost time for you to go don't don't forget to go well I wasn't gonna go but then she comes up there and says go (laughs) this is how God works y'all okay this is how God works he works in mysterious ways 
So I go down and I, I have this ticket and I told this lady, I said, I'm here to have y'all pray over me or something. I was, I was really not very kind. I was not mean. I just wasn't very, I wasn't going to be taken in. I'm, I'm one of those people. I'm very, very uh, cautious and I'm very sus- suspect of everything. <clears throat> so um, she's like, oh yes, okay. If you come this way, blah, 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 blah. And she took me back in this room and uh, took me to another room. And then uh, she said, um, she introduced me to this guy and these two women. There's three of them total. And um, she says, um, this is so-and-so and so-and-so. And they introduced themselves. And then I <clears throat> I said, they said, well, we'd like to pray over you. And it was a room full of little cubicles where we had a little privacy. And uh, I sat down in the chair and they said, you know, we're just going to kind of lay out some ground rules for you. And I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. Well, I had a ball cap on because I, I purposely wore the ball cap because I didn't want them to see my face. Because just in case they say something, you know, they might be looking for my face to confirm or deny what they're saying. And so uh, <clears throat> they said, we're going to pray over you and um, we're just going to give you what the Lord gives us. And uh, we, we please don't ask us to explain anything. We, it's just, you know, this is the way it is. and You know, um, pray about it and, you know, God will explain it to you and all this here. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. And I didn't believe it. I thought, you know, that's a bunch of bull crap. These people are crazy. So I sat there and, <clears throat> and they said, we're going to pray. And then we're just each going to speak over you. And I said, okay, whatever. And I had my head down. I was looking down at my feet. And the ball cap covered my face completely. You couldn't see my face at all. And I, I thought, well, I'm going to make this really hard on y'all. And um, I'm going to prove to y'all this is a bunch of bunk. Well, I, uh, I sat there and one of the girls said, you bring a lot of joy where you work. And I thought, well, that's kind of general. That's kind of basic. I worked at nursing home as a nurse. I worked at night. And in the mornings when I'd get off, I would um, go to the dining room where they were all eating and I'd play the piano for them. That was just something I did. <clears throat> and they enjoyed it. And, you know, it was nice. It was, and I did that every morning. They got used to it. So I thought, well, that's kind of weird. You'd say that I bring a lot of joy probably true I do and then the other girl said um, I see a piano I see keys I see you play in the piano and um, I thought well that's kind of strange that's you know I never told him I played the piano that was kind of weird oh well, that's huh. so I didn't really catch then this is the, this is where it got this is where it got interesting folks um, one of them said, You had a vision when you were 19 years old. Now, they got my attention. Because I told nobody this but my wife. And I know she didn't tell them. And I had truly wondered through the years if I truly had the vision or not. You know, doubt creeps in and you wonder, gosh, did I really have that? Or did I dream it? Did I fall asleep in that chair? Was this all just you know, a dream? And I made it up in my head? You know, because the mind is very powerful. I do believe that. And he's, I think it was a guy who said, he said, you had a dream, you had a vision when you were 19 years old. And you've always wondered if that was real or not. He said, God wants you to know that that was absolutely 100% real. Now, y'all, I was not a believer up until that point. <clears throat> and I became a believer in a second as soon as those words came out of his mouth, I thought to myself, there's no way they could know this. Well, I began to weep, but they didn't know it. I didn't want them to see my face. 
And one of the women, they stopped talking. And uh, then one of the women said, you're going to heal America. And I looked up because it just blew me away. And I thought, heal America? How in the world could I heal America? I'm just a, a low-paid nurse in a, in a no place. And she said, you're going to heal America. God says you're going to heal America. And I'm thinking, that is just weird. How in the world could I heal America? I'm, not, I'm nobody. I don't have any connections to you know, anyone who's important. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. Well, anyway, <clears throat> she said, that's all we have for you. And I said, well, and I wanted to ask questions. They're like, I'm sorry, we, we don't want to answer questions. We just, we just pray for you. And I looked at them, and they were looking at me like, who is this guy? that is going to heal America. And uh, I get up and I walk out. I'm totally, completely undone by this, which started my journey into the prophetic. Now, fast forward, that was probably my mid-40s, maybe early 40s. I'm not really sure. I'm sorry. I don't remember exactly. If I did some math in my head, I could probably figure it out. But suffice it to say that it was... It was... um, it was over 20 years ago, I'm sure. My kids were just, they were just babies. And now they're grown. Um, I left out of there. And, of course, I told Missy, my wife, about it. And um, she was like, wow, that's amazing. Bob, you know, all this here. And she said, wow, your vision, you you know, you, you told me about that. And, and she said, I'll be honest with you. I, I kind of thought maybe you were embellished a little bit. And I said, she said, but now I, I truly believe it. And I said, wow. I said, that's crazy. And I said, heal America? She goes, yeah, maybe it doesn't really mean heal America. And I said, well, that's what they said, that I'm going to heal America. Well, fast forward now to 2021. I work for an elected official who is a member of the Florida House of Representatives. And I've never shared this on my podcast because I just I didn't want to make a big thing about where I worked but uh, I'm the district aide for for this member and uh, I wonder is God preparing me for something the man in the blue suit behind the lectern you know is that me somehow or is that someone I'm going to be with you know my boss isn't tall and skinny or he's not skinny you know, we're both middle-aged men, so, you know, we got a little bit of a girth in our stomach, so I don't know. I don't know what it means. Healing America, I don't know. Um, one thing I've learned about the prophetic is that it's never what you think it is, but anyway, that's a true story, folks. That actually happened. Um, I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, I hope some way it, it uh, strengthens your faith, and until we... Till we meet again, folks. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.